the Lord Jesus, uh, we look forward to what you're going to do. You say that when we seek you, we will find you. Uh, Lord, my prayer uh, has been coming into this morning and is still that we would be a people with hearts to seek you, uh, that we would be a people that find you. Uh, So I pray that this morning as we come to your word, that you would just speak clearly. Lord, that you would lead us and guide us uh, as a a whole church, but God, even as individuals. You know what weeks we're coming out of. You know what weeks we're going into. Uh, Would you just come and speak and have your way in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, we started a a few-week series called The Good Way, uh, which comes out of Jeremiah 6, verse 16. Let me read it for you. Uh, It says, This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And so last week, as we were kind of introducing the passage uh, and talking through it, we were looking at sometimes you just get lost. Sometimes you wander off the path, sometimes intentionally, sometimes even unintentionally. We drift from the path that God has called us to. The importance of recognizing, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And then walking with the Lord to get back on the good way, the path that he has set our feet on. Why? Not because, oh, I got to get on the good path so that God's not mad at me or but because he offers us the thing that man has been wanting since day one, rest for our souls. And so last week, we took some time to just pray together with one another and go, where are you tired? Where are you exhausted? Where do you have anxiety and stress? Where is God calling you to hope and joy? And so we spent time praying uh, with and for one another. And this week, I want to carry it a little further This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Not this part yet, Chris. Tech people, you know? What they said, yeah. God is calling his people through Jeremiah to a change in direction. We have a word for a change in direction in our Christian lexicon. What is that word for changing the direction? I was heading this way, now I turn and I'm headed this way. What is the word that we use for that church? Repentance. I love it when you guys retain things and it's all worth it. He is calling his people to repentance. A change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. That word repentance literally means a 180 degree turn. I was walking away from him. And now in repentance, I turn and I'm walking towards him. Oftentimes you hear repentance talked about and it's just that saying, I'm sorry kind of thing. Repentance is actually a heart of change. So God is calling his people to a change of direction, to repentance. But listen to how his people respond. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Chris, next slide, man. Come on. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear you nations, you who are witnesses, observe what will happen to them. Hear you earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. 
What do I care about your incense from Sheba or your sweet calamus from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will put obstacles before this people. Parents and children alike will stumble over them. Neighbors and friends will perish. Not a very pretty passage. I shared last week uh, when, when I was given Jeremiah 6.16 to, to lead the time that we had in Indonesia a few weeks ago. I, I told him this is a weird passage because it's all about doom and gloom and condemnation and judgment. And 6.16 was that ray of sunshine coming in on an otherwise cloudy day. God calling his people, look, you're doing it wrong. You're getting it wrong. You're chasing after the wrong things. But wait, there's hope if you will stand at the crossroads and look. If you will seek the ancient paths, if you will find the good way and walk in it, you'll find rest. But they wouldn't do it. They refused to repent. They continued to chase after what seemed right to them. This passage is a warning. God said, I will bring the fruit of your schemes down on your own head, not because I'm God and I'm mad, but because you won't repent, you won't turn back and walk towards me. And so the outworking of your own actions, your own consequences are going to come crashing down on your head because you refuse to acknowledge and walk in the good way. And listen, Israel continued to do religious stuff. God didn't say, hey, where's the burnt offerings and sacrifices? They were still bringing them. They were still going to church, what it looked like back in ancient Israel. But he said, I see where your heart is. They were doing the religious stuff, but he says, none of it works because your hearts are far from me because you have wandered and refused to repent. There's this phrase that comes up in the book of Judges in First and Second Kings. The people were, kind of, they were either leaderless or the leaders they had were inept. And there's this phrase that keeps coming up, says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's kind of Israel's tagline. We do what's right to us. We chase after our own way. God was calling them to repentance all throughout the Old Testament, was continually calling them to repentance and warning them, if you don't, here's what's going to happen. But another common phrase, it says the people were hard-hearted and stiff-necked. They refused to even turn and look in his direction. They did what was right in their own eyes. And if you know the story of Israel, the fruits of their schemes were brought down on their own heads. Jeremiah himself was carried off into captivity with the very people he was warning because they refused to repent. The idols of the nations, the idols of culture led them astray. Now, their idols, they had a very practical idolatry. They actually had shelves in their homes with like carved images or, you know, the story of the golden calf, like they actually had physical idols that represented gods that they worshipped. Today, we're a little more sneaky. Do any of you actually have like an altar in your house with carved images that you worship? No one? Good, okay. I skipped to the end. No, I'm kidding. What are the idols of today? We don't have carved images. We don't often have the names of that other God that we're chasing after. But we do suffer from idolatry. 
We, just like Israel, are led astray by the idols of this world, the idols of of our culture. What are the idols that are tempting us away from the path God's calling us to? Joe? Cell phones and technology. Okay. Does that mean they're always bad, Joe? Right. But they can be. Absolutely. Busyness. Busyness and the rest that God's promising don't really go well together. What else? What are the, what are the idols that lead us astray? Okay, career, yeah, climbing the ladder, always, always after the next uh, advancement or whatever it may be. What else? Self, how so? The love of yourself Okay, much like Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I'm the judge. I decide what's best for me. I decide what's right. I decide, whatever makes me comfortable wins the day. Absolutely. Safety? How so? Yeah. Yeah. The, the idol of safety. One of the things that we believe, like the Alliance is a denomination, we have some of these core beliefs, and one of them is that the people of God will be called into faith-filled risks. Risk and safety don't go well together. But if, we, if you follow Christ long enough at all, you will be called into some risky situations, and your idol of safety, you're going to have to choose. Maverick? Oh, uh, he said justice. He said getting back, like vengeance, revenge, trying to get even, trying to get one up on that person that wronged you, whatever it might be. Absolutely. Okay, how so? That entertainment brings that numbness. We know we should do something else. We feel guilty about it. We're, man, it's so hard. Is it worth it? It's much easier to just hit. Like, it kills me that Netflix has a just play something button. (laughs) It does. You need to spend more time on Netflix. No, I'll never say that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) When you log in, there's a, don't know what to watch? Let us pick something for you. If you're just that bored, if you're just in that much need of escape, we'll just play anything we want for you. And it's there because people click it. Because we just want to not think about it. We just want to be numb. We just want to forget about it. Ooh, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk on that one. Why don't you talk on it, Miss Kitty? Family. I'll let her preach that one, but no, there, there really is an idolatry of family that is celebrated, especially in Western church culture, because does God call us to love our children well? Yeah, and, and to meet their needs, and, but we've taken the happiness of our children, and we've put that on the top shelf, above 
am I even taking care of myself in the way that God has called me to? I'm not talking about a spa day. I'm talking about has that taken precedence over seeing them become the people that God has called them to be? Over modeling what it looks like to live with margin and discipline and it's, it's a whole thing. But family can definitely be one of those idols that causes us to drift. Stuff. Stuff. Money. <laughs> stuff, money, don't forget things. Yeah? Okay. How, how does stuff become an idol? Yeah. Is, is that desire for more. There's always more stuff than I have, and I want it. And even when I get it, there will still be more stuff. Or having too much stuff. Like, I, yeah. I am just floored at the amount of uh, storage units available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there's actually some incredible statistics of the number of storage units there are in America compared to the number of people. It's bananas, okay? But there is, and there's this thing where the more stuff you have, it doesn't just take up room in your house, it takes up room in your brain. You have to think about, am I taking care of it? Do I know where it is? Is it on and on? Is it organized? Is it not organized? Whatever it is, it takes up room in your soul because now there's just that much more stuff that I have to spend my time, money, energy caring for. Is it worth it? It's a very fair question. Food? Food? Yeah, especially coming back to that numbing. Uh, we, the, the phrase eating your feelings, you know, is out there, but life is hard. Life, life brings pain with it. And following Jesus does not make us exempt from any of that, yes? And it's just so much easier to look forward to dinner tonight because we're going to go to my favorite place and I'll get my favorite thing and at least I have something to look forward to tonight. Instead of where's my comfort supposed to come from? The Lord. We... we we actually spoke some scriptures about that earlier. So are any of these things inherently bad? N- no one was like, no one even mentioned uh, pornography or drugs or some of these things that like can be idols, but they're almost so obvious, they're not that tempting to a lot of us. It's the things that aren't inherently bad. Some of them, like family and food, and, are inherently good. But when they take a place they're not meant to, they will lead us off the path. They will cause us to drift. And we find ourselves in that place we looked at last week. I'm lost. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Lord, how do I begin to get back? We find ourselves in that place where we need to repent. And listen, repentance is a difficult thing because when we talk about repentance, typically we're talking about one of those bigger sins, You know what I mean? Like, I gossiped about my neighbor. I looked at pornography. um, I went out drinking more than, like, whatever it might be. We think of those, and there's that one act that I come and I say, I'm sorry, let's make a change. The, The trickier part, a lot of where these idols live, is in this very subtle, gradual nature. It's a good thing, but it's step by step causing me to move. So I can't point to this one blatant act. It's become kind of a lifestyle. And it's really difficult for us to see in the mirror. But here's the thing we have to come to grips with, it that God was trying to get Israel to grasp. Repentance always precedes blessing. God didn't say, I'll give you rest for your souls, and then you can get on the good way. He said, change your way, change direction, repent. 
And in doing so, you will find blessing. We all want that rest. We all want that peace deep in what the Bible calls our inner man. But not many of us want repentance. Repentance always precedes blessing. It's a linchpin issue. You, you remove that one, the whole thing falls apart. Acts 3.19, Peter teaching, and I love this passage. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Peter went, I know what you're really looking for. All of you are exhausted. He was speaking to the Pharisees at the time. You're exhausted from doing all this religious stuff. I know what you want. You want rest. You want peace. You want times of refreshing. Then repent. Turn from the path you're on. Repent. Turn from your sin. And turn to God. And his refreshing will come pouring out from you. Repentance and peace, rest, refreshment are always tied together in the scripture. The blessing of the Lord, and when I say blessing, I'm not talking about monetary, and I'm talking about that deep-seated peace that the world can't touch. When you look at all of those who have all of the blessings in the world, the, the rich, the famous, the whatever, what are they always looking for? How do I just get away and find peace? And so they get into some weird stuff looking for it. They have everything we think we want. And what are they crying out for? Peace, rest, refreshment. Repentance always precedes blessing. Pastor Rob Reamer, who wrote Soul Care, and I, I quote him often, he says this, repentance is like a soul alignment. It makes our souls breathe, breathe a sigh of relief. It is so refreshing to be in right alignment with God. But when you are not in alignment with God, your soul is subject to disease, you won't get well until you are more concerned with being good than you are looking good. Pride is the enemy of true confession and ultimate freedom. What God is telling through, through Jeremiah and on through the New Testament is we find ourselves out of alignment with God. We've wandered from the path and there is this tension in our soul because of it. And there is something about repentance, getting back on the path with him, being in right alignment with him that brings release that brings refreshment to our souls. But we have to do the hard work of repentance. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. So I want to give us a couple rules for repentance. And I think of like the Pirates of the Caribbean where they go, eh, it's more guidelines than rules, really. But guidelines for repentance just didn't sound right. Some rules for repentance. First, we don't need to go on a witch hunt. If you're hearing this this morning and you're going, I want peace, I want rest, like, where do I start? And we can start to get all anxious of like, do I have to go dig stuff up to, and find things to repent of? We don't need to go on a witch hunt for things to repent of. We have been given the Holy Spirit and his job is to bring conviction on his people. Jesus talking about that day that he would leave to his disciples, and they were like, no, you can't go, that's crazy. And, and he tells them this, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth, it is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
It is the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction to people. And that word conviction can have a negative uh, connotation to it because it's kind of that legal term and somebody got convicted. That means they're going to jail. And so we kind of go, ooh, conviction. I don't know if I like that. Conviction is a gift to be received from the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to go seeking it out. By that, what I mean is we don't have to go turning over every rock. We have to draw close to the Holy Spirit and allow him to give us that gift of conviction. So if you're hearing this this morning and you're going, something's not right, but I'm not sure what it is, I'm not going to tell you, you need to go journal for the next two weeks until you figure it out. What I'm going to tell you is draw close to the Lord and ask him, Lord, where am I separate from you? Where am I out of alignment with you? He, he promises he will bring his conviction and his conviction will be the greatest gift you can receive right now because it leads you to repentance, which leads you to rest for your souls. Praying prayers like Psalm 139, David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David came to him and he goes, if you read Psalm 139, it's a, it's a psalm of praise. And David's going, man, this, it's, I'm kind of in a pretty good season. And I'm seeing God move and everything's good. But Lord, if there's any areas where I'm out of alignment with you, where, I, where I'm walking in an offensive way, would you bring it to my heart and mind? Would you show it to me so that I can repent and walk in the way everlasting? David's heart was to ask the Lord to do the work and just go in and give me the strength to walk with you. Does that make sense, church? So you don't have to go on a witch hunt. Simply stand at the crossroads and ask. Allow his Holy Spirit to shine his light in your soul because here's the thing, the light of the Holy Spirit is always a gift if we're willing to receive it. Don't need to go on a witch hunt. Number two, fight the urge to blame. This is a tough one for us because there's always somebody that did something that made us do that thing. I wouldn't have felt that way if they didn't do that thing. If they wouldn't have done it first, then I never would have. If they wouldn't have put me in that position, whatever it may be, but here's the thing about blame. Even if it's true, it's not helpful. We are all responsible for our actions. We are all responsible for our reactions. And so I'm not saying there's never a safe place to go, hey, is this person putting me in a good situation? Is, is this a healthy person to be around? Like, those are fair questions for a time. But when it comes to repentance, you will naturally, because you're human, always try to find somebody else to blame. It's their fault that I did this. What was I supposed to do? Part of repentance is taking responsibility for your own actions, your own reactions to a situation. They may have been a bad friend. They shouldn't have said that thing, whatever it may be. But I chose to respond in anger. I chose to gossip. I chose to, uh, to lie or to, to kind of hide the truth, whatever it might be. I made the choice that put me out of alignment with God. And now I need to make the choice to repent. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm going to keep asking because I get a lot of stares. Number three, condemnation and conviction are different things. This is such an important clarification. Again, I go back to uh, Rob Reamer in Soul Care who, who put this in a light that I had never heard before and it brought me so much peace. 
Condemnation and conviction are very different things. Paul teaches in Romans 8, he says, who can condemn us? If Christ is for us, who could be against us? We are not to be people who live under condemnation. Yet the Holy Spirit still brings conviction. He still points out things that we do wrong, areas we need to change. And we go, wait, how can the two exist together? Condemnation is that weight of guilt that you have to carry, you have to bear. And, and here's, here's the way the enemy works and how uh, Rob points it out. He says, condemnation tends to just be really vague. You're a bad mom. You're, you're a bad husband. You, we, you should just be ashamed. But we don't really have the specifics. It's just you know who you are, and we just feel shame. When the Holy Spirit speaks through conviction, it is very specific. He says, you shouldn't have talked to your wife like that last night. There's this very specific thing. The way you spoke to your child was too harsh. Because now there's something specific. Guess what I can do? I can repent. And I can go back to that person. I can say, hey, that was wrong of me. And I'm sorry. I, I can find healing. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is always leading to, is refreshment, rest, peace, healing. The enemy moves in condemnation and just throwing out these kind of vague, you're terrible, you're worthless, the world would be better off without you. Why? Eh, you just know they would. Because you're just bad. The Holy Spirit comes with those specific things because he wants you to right the wrongs and to move forward. He wants you to be free of those things, to find forgiveness and reconciliation. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't just throw blanket condemnation on you. He says, this act was wrong, and you need to go make it right. You need to repent of this act. Do you see the difference between the two? Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 7. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. I love this. And leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And I think what Paul is talking about is this differentiation. When the Holy Spirit speaks and he brings conviction, there's, I can repent. I, I, I can turn and make things right. Find salvation, and I love it. Live with no regrets. Not live with no mistakes, but I've made them right as best as I can. But worldly sorrow, that condemnation that just, ugh, leads to death. And that is where the enemy thrives. So learning the difference between the enemy's condemnation and accusations and the Holy Spirit's conviction is a beautiful gift that God offers to us. Finally, the fourth rule, don't wait. When the Holy Spirit brings his conviction, get off your butt, move. Jesus talking about, he says, therefore, if you're, uh, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them then come offer your gift. Offering their gifts was the most sacred thing they had. The thought of just leaving it, like on the steps and moving on, was unthinkable to them. But Jesus said, going and making things right with your brother and sister is of the utmost importance. I would rather you do that than offer me your sacrifices. Don't wait. 
If the Holy Spirit brings his conviction, if he brings that conversation to mind, that, that reaction that you had to mind, that, that time that you, you didn't quite tell him the truth, you fudged the numbers a little bit, you embellished, go and make it right. Don't live under the weight anymore, but choose repentance. Go now and be free of it. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. So what I want to do this morning is just give us a couple minutes to seek the Holy Spirit. God has promised the Holy Spirit to everyone who follows him. And he's promised that that Holy Spirit offers the gift of conviction to everyone who seeks. And so what we want to do is simply, uh, Chris, could you put that uh, Psalm 139 passage back on the wall? If it's helpful to have a guide, we can pray this prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's seek the Lord for his conviction. It is a gift. It is a pathway to freedom. And if he brings it up, don't wait. Let's move forward in repentance. So let's take a moment just where you are and ask the Lord for conviction. Spirit, we pray that you bring your conviction on us, not because you like to point out flaws or because you're trying to hurt us in any way, but because you want to let us know where the disease is that needs cut out, because you want to lead us to freedom and health and wholeness and rest. Lord, as much authority as I can speak with over this church, we welcome your conviction. Would you come and speak to us, God? Would you continue as we go from this place and as we, we choose sin later this afternoon and tomorrow morning and as long as we're with people, it's there. Would you lovingly, God, bring your conviction to us that we can stay on that good path, that we can find rest for our souls as you desire for us, God. Lead us in the good way, I pray. So repentance has a brother, confession. True repentance always leads to confession. 
1 John 1, if you've been here for any length of time, you're familiar with this passage. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I remember the first time somebody taught me on this, looking at it and going, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and feeling like, John, you said that wrong. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we confess our sins, then we're one with him and we have fellowship with him. But John was going, no, 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 this is a communal thing. This is an us thing, not a you and Jesus over in a corner thing. If you walk in the light with him and with one another, you have the kind of fellowship that God has called us to. There is, there is a place for this personal confession between me and the Lord. Absolutely, 100%, yes. But there's also a lot of times where God calls you to go and confess your sin to someone else. And listen, Christina came up earlier and did it very publicly. I've, I've done the same thing myself because that's how I felt God was leading me. That's a small percentage of the time. So if you, if you saw that and you go, wait, is that what he's talking about? I have to come and give a laundry list of sins to everyone? No. But are there people in your life that know everything? Are there people that you're hiding from? You cannot be free and hide at the same time. Repentance, true repentance, always leads to confession. And confession leads to freedom. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Rob says, if you're going to walk free, you must not walk in secrecy. It's a powerful thing to be open and honest. There is no healing where there is pretending. Is there someone in your life that knows everything? There should be. I pray that there would be. I'm not saying everyone has to know everything. That's just not safe. But is there someone in your life that knows everything? That you have confessed your sin, that you have walked in the light with? Because if not, you're hiding. And if you're hiding, you're stuck. You're stuck in shame. And shame is a weight none of us were meant to carry. Rob goes on to say, I know it's scary, but there is more freedom here than you can imagine. Be brave. And he's talking to church leaders here, but we'll bring it home and more. He says, pastors, teachers, church leaders, small group facilitators must create communities of grace where confession is expected and accepted. We must lead the way with open heart, with open, honest, confessional lives. If the leaders are pretentious or judgmental, the followers will hide in secrecy. And where secrecy is encouraged by our actions, sin will flourish. It's easy to see that when you look at a church and go, if I'm up here lying to you guys, if I'm up here sinning Monday through Saturday and then just trying to put on the Sunday's best, you see how the entire church goes downhill. But let me ask you this, in your family, in your home, do your children see you confess your sin? 
Do your children see you repent and come to them and, hey, the way that daddy spoke to you, that was unfair and I'm sorry. That was wrong of me. You didn't deserve that. Do your children hear you repent and confess of your sin? If so, guess what? They're going to grow up thinking it is normal to repent of their sin and to confess to one another. If your children see you hiding, and they do, they're perceptive little buggers, they will learn that's what we do. We hide. And they will continue to carry the weight that you have been trying to get off your shoulders your entire life because we're modeling for them either repentance and confession or shame and hiding. You, as a parent in here, or even as a student in here, you get to decide what things look like going forward. What will you model for those around you? Will you help them find freedom? Or will you teach them to hide and carry shame? I would like to lead us into a time of communion. As we've been talking about, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, covers our sin. We have a God who didn't just say repent, try really hard on your own, and hopefully you figure it out one day. He came to us to bring times of refreshing, to wipe our sins away, that we would have the ability to even repent. And we want to come this morning and just give thanks. We want to remember the cost of repentance that he paid for us so that we can now become children of God. By way of leading into that, I'm going to ask you to stand again. Yep, you guys. If you can hear me, go ahead and stand. And I'd like for us to read through a corporate prayer of confession together. Chris, if you'd put it up there for me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. So you know how some prayers you pray and you're going, man, I I hope he says yes. He always says yes to this one. Jesus has already paid for it. The check is cleared. When we come and humbly repent, our sins are wiped away. The psalmist says, removed as far as the east is from the west. And we're offered times of refreshing from the Lord.